Welcome to Clarity, hosted by me, Larry McCann. <laughs> so they have someone to call father. You get it, right? Why are you looking at me like that? What's that hand gesture? We're recording, aren't we? We'll edit that out, okay? Will do. Anyways, so start start the episode here. Welcome, everyone. It's great to have you back. I definitely want to get into the Z's Ansari allegations coming from Babe. And there's also a fascinating story involving Margaret Atwood and her conflict with the Me Too movement. Unfortunately, we're not going to have time to discuss that this week. But look forward to next week. I'm devoting the episode to exploring those two stories and responding to some feedback I've gotten from listeners. I want to clarify what the show stands for and some of my views on things. As a quick recap of some of the other events, Kevin Spacey is now facing his third Scotland Yard sexual assault investigation. The alleged incident occurred in 2005. I think the public court of opinion is great, and I think we should all exercise our right to voice our opinions, but there need to be legal repercussions, and if our justice system is not up to doing the job, we need to reevaluate that too. In more bizarre news, STX president Sophie Watts exited the company over allegations that the CEO, Robert Simmons, systemically harassed her. I say the story's bizarre because there's weird details like they shared an office with desks facing each other. According to the rap, Sophie Watts repeatedly requested her own office, and when she was finally granted one, it was on a different floor where she was cut off from the flow of information and missed various meetings. Sophie Watts is openly gay, while Simmons is married and a heterosexual. Apparently, his wife had accused them of having an affair and would make calls to the office asking if Watts and Simmons were engaged in oral sex. According to the testimony of one former employee, Watts became an unhealthy obsession of his. It was common knowledge they had some kind of friendship that was peculiar to everybody because it made no sense why she was being anointed the way she was. He refused to let her have her own office. They had two desks facing each other. They traveled everywhere together. In meetings, he complimented her every second, and inappropriately so, even if she hadn't said a word or wasn't there. As I said, bizarre. A STX lawyer, Bert, I can't pronounce this name, Dexler, responded by saying, It is true that she regularly worked at a desk in Mr. Simmons' office, but she had her own office. Apparently, in September of 2016, an outside attorney was brought in who recommended that a bodyguard be present when the two were alone in the office. Dexter responded to that accusation by saying there was no bodyguard, there was no recommendation, that's not true. And apparently that didn't help because Watts found herself traveling alone with Simmons on 15-hour flights to China. There were also allegations that Watts was apparently not qualified for the position she had, and it must have been some kind of favor granted by Simmons. Simmons is an experienced finance professional. Watts does not have much related experience in the field. This is a company that would finance movies. One of the reasons I bring this up is Watts has been unable to respond. She must have signed an NDA, and that's a topic we should cover. Personally, I find NDAs to be immensely unfair. For those of you who have never signed one or are unaware of the concept, an NDA stands for a non-disclosure agreement. 
It's a legal contract between at least two parties, be they individuals or companies. What it does is prevent you from sharing any trade secrets or proprietary information to the public or even friends and family. Consequences are often stipulated. If you leak any of this information, you will be punished with typically a fine or a lawsuit. Another key clause in most NDAs is that any disputes must be settled through arbitration. If anything goes wrong, you can't sue the company. You've got to go through an agreed arbiter, often paid for and chosen by the company. It gives the company a huge advantage over you in the case of any disputes. If you don't think things like arbitration will have any impact on your life, take a good look at those terms of use on things like iTunes, Netflix, and your internet provider. I apologize for the rushed recap of the week. I want to devote the majority of this episode to the second part of my interview with Alex Marshall Brown. I had a great time and really enjoyed our conversation. think that all these labels we use to describe race or define people are meaningful or are they unnecessary social constructs? That gets complex because as biological beings, I think we as humans are designed biologically to identify and understand the world around us at a very base level. Me choosing to say this next thing is not a reflection of my spiritual mindset. It is just me using another example. All the way back to the Bible and Adam and Eve. They come up and they are labeling the things that they see around them in the Garden of Eden. We can't understand the world unless we can label the things around us because that's how we understand ourselves in the process. So I don't think it's bad to label. I think what is bad is the judgments we place upon them. If the word black alone, regardless of person or color, if you are referencing black as a negative thing, that has been socially designed. It'd be great if we took the time to look and question that and assess that and, and knowing it. I'm not mad about it now because I know about it. I can see it when it happens. I know how people try to use that against me. I'm not mad that it exists because it all happened before we ever got here. But it's now that we know what are we going to do about it? How do we want to change the English language? How do we... <laughs> Larry, I keep going on these rambling talks. What was the question? This isn't the question at all, is it? Where did this start? Are these labels even useful? The labels are useful to define ourselves, yes. Labels are necessary for us to broaden our understanding of ourselves as it relates to the world around us. I do believe that. When we throw negative judgments on it, it gets to be a problem. You can label me as a woman, label me as a black person, label me as an entertainer. It's the negative judgment that you place on any of those words that's a problem, and that starts with you, not me. Not the label. It's your judgment. To tie back into that, how accurate is the term black? Is it referring to skin color? Does it refer to African heritage? If you're talking about African heritage, is that one monoculture? Or is it many thousands of cultures all lumped together for arbitrary reasons? I think it would be good to remind everyone that the United States of America, the landmass that is the United States of America, four of them would fit in the continent of Africa. It's a big-ass place. So to do the broad generalization of African culture and African heritage is like saying Southern is the exact same as someone from Brooklyn. It's not. 
We as Americans forget that. The world is a bigger place than we are. I'm a part of that. I am American too. I also had the luck and the privilege to grow up overseas for a few years of my life. And so like my global view of our contribution as a society differs and it's important to me and I, I think it would be important to others if only they had a chance to see the world as I have. And I don't know how to bridge that gap except to encourage people to travel and travel open-mindedly knowing that other cultures aren't wrong, they're just different. In terms of black, if I grew up letting that word negatively affect my view of myself, I wouldn't exist right now. There are people who use that word designed to hurt me. There are people who use other words with the same intention. I think when we are engaging in discourse with people, regardless of whether it's racially or feminist-fueled, when we seek to communicate with other people, we also need to listen for their intention behind their words, because it is ultimately their intention that is an indicator of how much you should trust them. Those who mean you malice can't hide it. There are people who can, and they show it in very nefarious ways. Their words aren't going to be the only indicator in that case, though. Any examples that you can think of? Our president. Universally, or there are specific ways in which he behaves in that manner? I think our president wants very much to provide well for his family and for himself. I don't fault him for that. I think our president has built friend groups around him who share in his wealth, and he wants to make sure that they're okay. I don't fault him for that. I think our president, because of his wealth and because of his privilege, has never had to look beyond the white friends around him, and the few minority wealthy friends that he has are not a reflection of their minority culture. I think it would be good of him to look beyond that. And because he has not had any representation of the broad general populace, because he was born rich, because he has never had to engage with what an average American lifestyle can be, he can afford to believe that he is superior and above that and not advocate for their needs, regardless of their skin or their culture. Imagine that you have the opportunity to sit down with President Trump and you want to inspire some kind of positive change in him. How would you approach that? I have been trying to figure that out. <laughs> And like I mentioned, there are people who don't want to hear it. There are people who don't want to learn. And, and I think it's important to, as a means of self-preservation, know who's worth reaching. Unfortunately, I don't think that President 45 is one. If I were to engage in a discourse with him, I might try to ask in terms of his view of his grandfather and ask him whether he would like to impose his immigration laws today to his grandfather. Chances are he would not even entertain the idea of the question he would simply deflect, which is why I'm saying, pick your battles wisely. I would approach it from an angle of identifying the things that matter to him and finding the parallels for why those same things matter to me. Ask him to see how his influence, not only as a wealthy person, not only as a wealthy white male of privilege who happens to be the president of the United States, Use what influence you have to leave a mark for more than just the people that you care about. If he were able to do that, I would have more hope for his presidency. I think the idea you keep returning to, that of people bearing witness, 
I think that's a very important message. It also ties back into parenting, where you may not see the immediate results of whatever life lesson you're trying to explain, but by doing it earnestly and articulately, you may have an effect down the line. That is the definition of integrity. It is not a matter of you standing there and being rewarded for your effort. You have to know that you left a mark and walk away and hope that the impression that you left is lasting. And enjoy the process. Ideally, you enjoy the process, but really the best fights are not pleasurable. They're worth it. They are labors of love. They are worth it. Because ultimately, happiness ideally comes out in the long run. You won't get it otherwise, though. Can you imagine a post-racial future where our current concept of race is this archaic idea that doesn't make sense to anyone? It's almost a joke. I can imagine it because I've almost lived it. I have, uh, there have been times when I've forgotten that I was black, and that's because I live in a bubble in L.A. It's a weird thing to acknowledge, but yeah, there have definitely been times when I've forgotten that I was black. So I can imagine it. I also know that there are many people in this country who can't. Do I think it's achievable? Yes. Do I think it's achievable in my lifetime? Not globally. Do I think it's achievable in my lifetime in my country? Not ubiquitously. There is always going to be someone who thinks they deserve more than I do, regardless of merit. Do I think that it is possible for the circles that I build around myself? Definitely, that is my choice. I can do that. But can I completely escape a racial world? No. I can live in a bubble for as long as I want, but I gotta leave it if I wanna live. So I can't escape it. All I can do is hope to influence it in a way that doesn't oppress me. Do you feel obligated to represent your race in everything you do? Yes. I wouldn't if I had a desk job. I wouldn't if I wasn't an entertainer. I see myself in this position only now because I have worked really hard to be an artist that is memorable. And my efforts mean that there are people who are remembering me and who are admiring me and I am grateful for their support. And I don't want to lead those people astray because I want to be a better person. And I'd like to think that the people who keep track of me want to be better people. I think that there's great knowledge in social communication, social education. And if there's something that I've learned that helps you, I want to share it. And if there's something that you've learned that helps me, I want to know it. It's not that I want to be this person that people turn towards. I just over time have seen it happen more and more that I want to make sure that whatever foot I'm putting forward is one that is anchored in respect and integrity and foresight and progress. I think it's crucial to point out that even if you're shouldering this burden, that doesn't mean you're held to an impossible standard. I think one of the most effective ways you can demonstrate growth and understanding is by making a mistake, but then dealing with the consequences and recognizing how it affected others. Yeah. There is no person on this planet who is perfect, and anyone who tells you they are is a liar. There is no way to overcome obstacles without being able to identify what the obstacle is. Before the whole Me Too movement, we couldn't identify what was wrong with the patriarchy. We couldn't have any one thing to point at it. Having the vocabulary is the beginning to addressing it. So yes, we need to identify the problems that exist around us. We need to articulate the problems that exist within ourselves so that we can articulate that to other people so that they can hear where you're coming from as authentically as possible. There are plenty of times where I don't feel like I'm fully understood because I haven't shaped my words about myself as clearly as possible, but that's a lesson in and of itself. I forgive myself for not getting it right this time. Hopefully next time I'll get it better. 
What kind of platforms exist for the average person to discuss these issues? I assume family and friend groups are the most common. Are there any other avenues to help encourage a more diverse outlook? I think there are some people who are realizing that the world isn't quite the way that they want it to be, but they don't have people to talk about it because the people that they are surrounded by, their friends and their loved ones, may not share their mindset that there is a lacking in progress that needs to be made. If you have people in your world who you would like to engage in that kind of a discourse, then first of all, remind them that you are someone that they love before you ever get into that conversation. Remind them that they are someone that you love. Yes, it's a difficult conversation, but it doesn't change the fact that you value each other. When you respectfully bring up things about yourself or even bring up things about the other person that you would like to shine a light on, Speaking about yourself and speaking about the other person with kindness makes it easier to hear the negative behind that opinion. Because no matter what, no one likes to be assessed. No one likes other people to go ahead and like pick them apart. It's intrusive. I'm saying that our civic duty as Americans is to be intrusive and tell people when they are wrong respectfully. Don't back down, but don't give up either. Reminding them, this comes from my heart because I love you. Treat it like an intervention. It's that important. Listen to this podcast. There's this one. First of all, Larry's fantastic. You should absolutely, he has such great opinions about life and brings in great people too. But also, I try to educate myself by listening to the opinions of other people. And social psychology is growing vastly right now. This podcast called Make Me Smart, that's not it. It's just right. I'm not as smart as I think I am because I don't even remember the name of the podcast. You Are Not So Smart is the name of the podcast, and it is fantastic. It goes into all the different things that I was talking about in various different capacities. They have episodes about learned helplessness, people who feel as though they are always the victims of something out in the world. You've learned that. You've practiced that. Now that you know that you've learned it, you can change it. It is building awareness of the way we conduct ourselves in the world. There are things that we don't know about ourselves and it shines light on the things that we didn't know about ourselves so that you can assess that part of you and then engage in the world differently if you so choose. I've been out of school for so long, I'm always trying to learn more about myself and about other people. I wish more people thought the same. What do you think is preventing everyone from thinking that way? Capitalism. <laughs> I've been growing increasingly disaffected myself. Yeah, out of necessity, because you gotta eat, you gotta work, you gotta live. You are socially designed to go ahead and buy Christmas gifts, so you gotta work for that. There also seems to be an obsession with simplicity. Whether in entertainment, politics, or social interaction, everything has to be simple. Yeah. When it's not simple, people get extremely uncomfortable. I challenge you to reassess that view. Just because it's simple doesn't make it smart. <laughs> I like that. That should be quoted. Yeah, just because it's simple doesn't make it smart. There are progressions in science. Just because it was simple didn't make it smart. Just because coal is convenient doesn't make it smart. Well said. I think one issue concerning all of social media is creating an echo chamber for yourself. You may occasionally argue with trolls, but for the most part, you're interacting with people who already agree with you. What do you do personally to avoid being closed off in a bubble? You're right. Everything about your social media is an algorithm, and it is designed and catered to show you what you want to see. It's a lie. 
It is not reality. You can choose to live in the matrix or not. I encourage you to break out of the matrix. And I encourage you to see the matrix for what it is, a giant fucking algorithm, respect it for what it is, because it has fucking influence, manipulate it if you can, but know that it's not real. We made it up. Some dude in college made it up a little over a decade ago. So it does not have to define how you conduct yourself in your world, and you'd be smart to know that. I like it. <laughs> As an actor, how linked is social media to the advancement of your career? More than I care to admit. Social media is very important for myself as an actor and an entertainer, just because now it's a matter of your social media followers can determine whether you book a role or not. They are called social media influencers, literally because they can influence the public. The question now is how do they want to influence the public? Because there is power in that. We can influence them to buy the next lip gloss or we can influence them to vote. What matters more ultimately? There is great power in social media. I see the game for what it is and I'm here to play it. Follow me, Alex Marshall Brown on Instagram and on Facebook. <laughs> there is no winning the game without knowing that the game exists. Now that I know that I have to utilize my social media in order to build myself and build my career, there are times when I walk away from it because frankly, you have to for your own self-preservation. But when I come back to it, I'm very deliberate about how I use it. I set up my own Facebook wall or my Instagram page to reflect the things that I'm working on and the things that enrich my life and the things that I want to achieve, knowing and hoping that it is, you know, some fun, cool stuff that other people would like to do as well for themselves. For Instagram, I prefer that most out of all of the social media. Twitter's not my jam. My brain thinks visually and not verbally. Much of what I am thinking right now is lost in translation. <laughs> That's truly a shame. I'm sorry, I'm, tr I'm working on it. But Instagram is my jam though. I can go ahead and just throw up visually things that I'm thinking. Now there are times when I definitely post perfunctory and post because I know I'm supposed to post and post because followers get mad when you don't. I'm sorry, I have a life to live. I hope that you take the time to do that for yourself. I look forward to a day when we are emancipated from social media. I might actually try to take up a fight to do that, but I know that it just will result in another form of entertainment. I think the thing that social media is robbing us of is boredom. If we took the time to be bored, I think we'd make so many cooler things. We should give ourselves a chance to like drop that as a way to occupy our minds and maybe let ourselves be bored for a second and pick up a book. I share that sentiment. I now feel like I always need to be doing something. If you were bored, what would you create? So the long list of things that I tell myself that I'll learn in my boredom but never give myself the time to be bored? All right, I got a guitar at home, covered in dust. I also got a ukulele, just as covered in dust. There was one time where I had this really big book of magic and I was gonna learn myself a trick a day and that turned into a trick a week and that turned into a trick never. I also practiced poi in my driveway and different flow arts, spinning, fire staff, all kinds of other things. Those are things that I actually do turn to, like the spinning and the poi and the fire staves, staves, staffs, staffuses. Uh, <laughs> whenever I go to that, that's meditative time for me. The more I take the time to do that and the more I learn the basics of that, that's a meditative time where I can think about other things as I'm learning that movement. If I were bored more often though, I would draw, I would paint. I have watercolor paints and images and designs of things that I want to do if I had the time to do it. I also have like work adulting projects. I have a spreadsheet of the things that I've booked that I need to update so I can go ahead and tell my reps what their commission is. 
If I were bored, I wouldn't do that if I was bored. That's one of my adulting things that I need to do. If I was bored, I'd probably go to the park. I should go to the park more often. I want to slack line more. If I were bored, I don't go camping when I was bored. Although I do go camping to give myself time to be bored. I do that. I go camping so I don't have technology and I can cook in the wilderness and I can look at a leaf, get bored by the leaf that I'm looking at and know that I'm happy because I'm bored and there's a leaf and it's living and I'm living and we're all fine and happy, but at least we're bored together. That's what the wilderness is for. Go camping. Build fires. Don't burn down LA. <laughs> What's your favorite camping food? Okay. I don't think that you should restrict yourself from food and culinary options while camping. The last time I went camping, I certainly made myself the most delicious camping tacos. No, it wasn't tacos. It was nachos. Now hear me out on this. Now, I have two cast iron skillets, right? And I got the one small skillet, and I threw in some truffle butter in there. Truffle butter, garlic, some Fancy. scallops. Scallops in the wilderness, man. Build yourself a surf and turf in the desert. It feels special. Those are simmering on the side. Well, I got, like, the other big cast iron skillet, and it has, like, all the nacho chips. And you put, like, the layer of cheese, and you put whatever, like, salsa dressing you want. And then you throw, like, crumpled bacon on top of that. And then some more chips and some more cheese and some more salsa. And then you throw the truffle buttered scallops on top of that. Some more cheese, a little bit of spinach because you need your greens and like all kinds of different stuff. I believe there is no place where you can't be a foodie, especially in the desert, camping anywhere. <laughs> I may have to hold off on that after my third bypass. That doesn't sound doctor recommended. So it doesn't have to be scallops. I've definitely done lobster. I've definitely done a sea bass. Having a surf and turf well into the mainland feels just right. Like a little filet mignon as well, like an eight ounce and a lobster and like just like shrimp on the skewers on an open flame under the stars. Oh, God, that's living in a way that just we don't let ourselves do often enough. <laughs> that sounds truly wonderful. Do you have any favorite places to go camping? Joshua Tree. I like Joshua Tree a lot just because... The stars out there get unreal. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you my favorite camping ground because it's my favorite in my home away from home. If you know me, ask me and we can find it together. There are some times when I go on like overnight trips just into the Angeles Forest right here. There have been times like, hey, it's 8 o'clock at night. I think I want to go camping. Let's just throw shit in the car and just go. And that's close enough where you can do it. <laughs> I would like to go up into Big Bear and Big Sur more, although like I know that with the fires and the rains and, and the roads closing, it's, it's getting to be harder to get out there. I haven't had the privilege of time or income to do this as often as I would like when I was younger. And so I'm trying to make more time for that now. I think it's very important and it gives context to this life in the city. Yeah. That's how I feel when I look up at the stars and I can see more than four. Yeah, it absolutely does. It grounds you literally. It resets you and recalibrates you to, and prepares you for what the social constructs we've designed for ourselves through capitalism and through social media and through all the other bullshit things that we have to endure on a day-to-day -day basis. People might hear how insignificant we are in the cosmic sense. So insignificant. And then ask, if we don't really matter in respect to the universe, aren't you depressed all the time? We're so insignificant ultimately, and yet, look at all the problems we choose to think about. <laughs> I can appreciate when I'm part of something that I don't understand. That doesn't mean it has to be depressing. I think man naturally has to explain the things around them. 
And it is uncomfortable not to understand what is happening around you because, like I said, it is a reflection on yourself not to understand it. The difference is, is that I don't feel insecure and in not understanding something that exists outside of me. It just means that I haven't understood it yet. Like we mentioned before, simple isn't always necessarily smart. There are times when people have simplistically explained things that we didn't understand and shaped them around things that were reassuring, such as religion, that we can also question ultimately in the long term. And I know that that is a deep, dark avenue to go, but if I'm going to be about it, then you got to be about it. We should question all the things in our life. Can you think of a formative moment in your childhood, or even when you were an adult, where you developed this mentality? Is this something you've always done? Have you always questioned and looked at things critically, or did you learn that behavior? This is absolutely something that I've learned. My father took great pains in empowering me to question the world around me, even himself. That is a bold thing for a parent to do, in my personal opinion. He tried to go ahead and pull the whole do as I say, not as I do. And I pointed out that he yeah, was very hypocritical, daddy. And if you're going to be about it, you have to acknowledge that sometimes your kids are right, too. So he taught me to challenge the world around me because others wouldn't do that for me. And I think anyone who's willing to question will, will arrive at conclusions that they never anticipated. Are there any lessons from your father that you're willing to share right now? My dad taught me very young that I was a token, that I am not an average representation of an African-American person in this country or the world. My family is, my dad's family is from Watts. We are from the ghetto. My dad was driven enough and given enough opportunities to seek a higher education, and so he was able to get out. Through his journey and through his knowledge and through his education, he imparted all those things to me, and he traveled overseas, serving as a United States diplomat for the Foreign Service. That naturally ingrained within him a global mindset that naturally caused him to see the inequalities not only in his community in Watts, but also in the growing communities that he later occupied over the course of his life. It is his journey that he imparted upon me from a very young age. I was born into his privilege. There was a point when I took that for granted, where to me, America was just movie theaters, malls, and Disneyland, because that's what every vacation for me was. Every vacation from wherever we were living was to come home, visit family. Oh, Alex is home, let's go to the mall or let's go to the theme park because it's a special occasion. That's what America was to me for a long time. My dad, being a boy from Watts, didn't like that and chose to take me to Watts and like drive me around and say, this could have been your life. There's no reason why this couldn't have been you. You're lucky that I'm your dad, but it could have been him. And reminded me that whatever style that I think that I have isn't my style. My style originates in his style. Whoever I think that I am can't be without someone else influencing it. He told me that I can't define myself without mentioning someone else. I am Alex Marshall Brown, daughter of, sister of, neighbor to, like I cannot define myself without mentioning someone else. That is the sense of community that I think we're forgetting. That we are not islands in and of ourselves. We are constellations that exist together. And so I'm lucky that he vouched for me in that way and schooled me in that way. And we fought each other a lot, but I mean, it was all for good reason. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Soapboxing it up over here. 
Both of us grew up on opposite coasts, but we both grew up in cities. Okay. I'm wondering if that makes it a challenge for us to understand growing up in a rural area or living in suburbia. I think we can both agree that experiencing different cultures and being forced to interact with them is a very positive thing. Yeah, representation matters. How can someone who lives in an area that lacks diversity expand their worldview if they don't have the opportunity to travel? The world is so much more accessible than that now. I think that anyone who's choosing to listen to this podcast has already proven a way that they can reach out beyond their own hometown. Look for other podcasts that may have a more cultural bent to it. Two Dope Queens is a lovely podcast. Black Like Me is another one, as well as Intersectional. Just because you don't have the chance to experience physically other things in the world doesn't mean that the world isn't inaccessible. We have a lot more agency and control about the entertainment that we let into our lives. It's easy to default to whatever the blockbuster movie is, and it's a lot harder to find whatever independent film was just made. But chances are, if you're trying to expand beyond whatever is mainstream and whatever it is that you already know, it is the underground where you will find that. Yeah, you may live in a community that is predominantly white. I doubt that that means that there are no minorities where you live. If you would like to get to know them better, you could invite them to your home for dinner, knowing full well that people have different cultural expectations, different cultural traditions. And so, like, if they do something that doesn't seem completely on par with what you think they should do, you know, maybe ask them, why is it that you choose to do that? Just to understand their choice and their actions. I'm sure that if you choose to invite someone to your house, they may be inclined to do the same. And the real learning opportunity will be whenever you choose to go to their home. There is nothing like experiencing another culture, like eating and sharing a meal with them. You could go to a restaurant, but going to a Tex-Mex restaurant is not the same. Going to someone's home and having food made out of love is completely different. That is something that, as a community, we don't take the time to do as much. Taking someone out to dinner is nice of you, but you don't have a chance to really be in someone's home and learn the differences about how they live their life. And I believe that your willingness to learn more will be all the impetus that you need to actually progress. Because it starts with that one question. It starts with that one burning fire. That one catalyst is enough. It won't always be pleasant and you won't always be comfortable with it. Growth is not pleasant. Growing pains are painful for a reason, but it's worth it. I just hope more people are willing to go ahead and challenge themselves in that way and know that it's not always going to be pleasant but there is virtue on the other side. That's just a conscious choice that you have to want to make. What are some traps that people can fall into that tokenize others? For me, being a token wasn't necessarily a bad thing. If anything, it has helped me progress as far as I have in my career. I'm a chocolate-covered white girl. I'm an Oreo. I have grown up being the minority. My graduating class for high school was not even 70 people, and I was the only black person. That is a reflection of my privilege. That is the way in which I am a token. That is how I know that I am not a clean and accurate representation of my African-American community. I am just a portion of it. In terms of how other people can engage with me, <laughs> I am allowed to call myself a token. That is a label I have placed upon myself. There are other people who will take great offense to that. There are archetypes. This is the hero. This is the guy that's gonna go out, he's gonna go and save the day, and he's the one that we're rooting for. 
That is the convention of a story. Stories are fantasies and don't live and exist in reality. That hero is so much more complex than that. It's important to remember that whatever label you have for someone, that is a fraction of who they are ultimately. They are more complex than that. The ways in which people have tried to label me as a token have been, oh, well, you're just, you're just the best friend. We have a star, she's white, she's wonderful. You're the best friend, you support all of her choices. Other ways in which I am a token, there have been people who were surprised when I tell them that my father raised me because they assume that I shouldn't have one. So suddenly by having one, I'm a token because I'm different. Everyone has a father. There are some fathers who are at liberty to stick around longer than others. There are many who are jailed before they should be. Now there's nothing wrong with being fascinated by things that are different. That's why I am always questioning and looking into the world and trying to figure out my place in it. Because it's fascinating to learn about things that aren't like me. And so when people just get so excited and they come over and they're like, oh, and they just like try to touch my hair, I understand that it's something new and different. <laughs> you are infringing upon my personal bubble, human being. Please don't do that. Surely you understand what that feels like. Because I am willing to label myself as a token and willing to engage in these conversations and choose to operate from a place of forgiveness first, when this happens to me, because it's not a matter of if, it's when this happens to me, I am a lot more tolerant than others will be. <laughs> so I get it, I have hair that's weird and different. It curls up, it shrinks when it's wet. It's long, it goes past my shoulders. You can't tell looking at it. When it's straight, it goes past my shoulders, it shrinks when it's wet. I can change the different lengths of it depending on how I prepare it. I can two strand twists, and when I take it out the next morning, suddenly it'll look this long and be wavier and not as curly. If I just wash it and I wash it and I wash it and I don't do anything to it, it'll shrink up and look like a little boy cut and it's the best. I get to do a whole lot of stuff with it. I get it, it's weird and new and different. Your hair does stuff that I wish mine did too. Grass is always fucking greener. Let's just acknowledge that people are different. <laughs> That's actually a question I was gonna ask you. This was brought to my attention a number of years ago. The idea of asking anyone if I could touch their hair. Especially a stranger seems insane to me. Yeah. I was shocked to learn that in the African-American community, this is like a daily a occurrence. Thing. How often does this happen to you? It's not a daily thing for me because I live in a liberal bubble. But um, when I was living in North Carolina, it would happen. It happens here still. But it happened more often when I was living other places. I don't think that there's anything wrong with asking. I think all of the problem exists from touching first. You are invading someone else's personal space. You can go ahead and ask, can I touch your hair? But you can also sit and like know that if they say no, don't do it. <laughs> I think you're being more generous than you need to be. How so? Is that a reasonable question? From my perspective, why is touching your hair so important to them? I have no idea why that's important for them to ask. I have to operate from the mindset that there's no such thing as a dumb question. If someone is asking, it is because they seek edification of some sort. And so it may be that if they ask, I can ask them, why, why would you like to touch my hair? What do you think you'll get out of this? What is this learning experience for you? <laughs> and if it's just for the novelty of having touched something different, babies do that all the time. That's how they learn. So I can't be mad at you for wanting to go ahead and understand something that you don't understand, but like, Get the fact that I can say no if I want to because it's my fucking body. <laughs>
I'm sure you've had situations where the person who just asked that question gets hostile. Like, what do you mean I can't touch your hair? Has that happened to you? Yeah, that's happened to me. It is always odd having to remind someone that they are not entitled to your body in any capacity. This black body is mine, and you can choose to try to go ahead and control it any way that you want to, but you don't have a right to do that. You are not entitled to any piece of me, nor is anyone entitled to you. You shouldn't let anyone take advantage of you in that way, and I ask you not to do the same to me. I think that's an important message. We need to understand boundaries. Yeah. Maintaining your personal space is something I learned very early growing up in the city. You just don't let strangers get that close to you. Yeah. That's rule one. And I think that lesson is not taught to everyone. I think that we have skewed perceptions of trust as a society. I think that we have normalized obscene behavior through our entertainment, through our movies, and through our escapism. And we have allowed that to shape what daily life is, and it shouldn't. What's been bothering me is that a lot of the escapism is as troubling as reality. Yeah, reinforcing the problems in our reality. 100%. I'm seeing TV shows being released now, and the cast is entirely white. I'm thinking that even if it's a period piece set in 1770, you should probably create a character who isn't a white person. That's always hard to do period pieces like that, because if you take the time to find your minority representation, they are designed to serve a specific role in that culture because that's what our past is. Are you going to write accurately according to what our past was? Are you going to write optimistically about what our future could be but with a past lens? We have to really look at how we approach our art. It starts with the artists. It's not a supply and demand situation. They will watch what we give them. And that sounds controlling. That sounds like there's a power above all things. When you are the creator of the art, then you have a control about what the message is, point blank. You can choose to reinforce the negative stereotypes or you can choose to be above it. Don't dumb down your art. Let your art be a reflection of the world that you want to live in. If you are willing to take the easy, simple route, just be a mirror and a reflection of all the negative shit that is oppressing us and yourself included, all the things that are holding us back from like living this life of equality where all of us are achieving then you're hurting the system, you're hurting your future, you're not helping anyone. And that paycheck, you'll spend that too. You mentioned numerous lesser quality podcasts. <laughs> but in terms of TV and film, are there any projects you can think of that do challenge these issues and present an inclusive message? Yes, there absolutely are. Forget TV shows, we're going to directors. Ava DuVernay is incredible. She is an African-American director who has written and created documentaries as well as films that are accurate to the realities that we live in, but also shines a light and socially reflective about the oppressive aspects of life. I recommend her documentary, The 13th, her movie, Selma. She has other TV shows that are coming out as well. She's also directing A Wrinkle in Time. And that little slice of sci-fi magic is worth everyone's time and attention. Go see that movie when it comes out. Ava DuVernay is a talent that is very underrated. In terms of musical playwrights, Lin-Manuel Miranda is someone who writes with an understanding of how his art will stand the test of time. I watched In the Heights when I was living in Washington Heights in New York 
And I left that show going back to my neighborhood, screaming to high heaven about how many people should go and see it. And also being so upset. It was the same feeling that I had after I saw Hamilton. I saw Hamilton knowing that this was the catalyst. This was the motivator. This, if only people could see this, then they would go out and want to do something with their lives because they'd seen that someone had done it, someone was doing it, and it was achievable. My only concern about the magic that is Lin-Manuel Miranda and his work is that the people who need to see it can't afford it. And I tell you this only because his work deserves the money that is getting thrown at it. His work deserves all of the financing imaginable and, and every ticket is worth every penny. The people who really need to see it can't afford it. A civic duty that you could do is, you know, go ahead and take someone to see one of his shows. Someone who probably couldn't afford it. Someone gifted me with a ticket and I am so grateful. Other shows, what kind of shows are happening right now? Fresh off the boat. I'm learning so much about Asian culture watching Fresh Off the Boat. I'm learning so much about my own childhood watching Fresh Off the Boat. I see the similarities that we have. Those boys go through things and I'm like, oh yeah, no, that seems so familiar. <laughs> Just their mother and how she problem solves. I freaking love it. It's a good show. You should watch it. Uh, Insecure, Issa Rae. <sighs> Issa Rae, Yvonne Orji, those two talented women, black girl magic all the way around. Issa's doing a great job of talking about those tokenisms and addressing my type of black in the world. She's definitely blacker than me. I'm still much more of an Oreo than she is, but she's doing a good job of showing what, I don't know, I guess it's the 1% of black America. That's a thing too. There's so much more out there. I tell myself that eventually I want to build a comprehensive list or at least an ongoing list of like shows that I'm watching and podcasts that I'm listening to and like things that influence me. Maybe sometime I'll build up a list. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. I've taken up so much of your time. It's okay. Do you have any additional thoughts? I have nothing but thoughts, but I think I've shared so many of them so far. <laughs> We're always happy to hear more. Is there anything you'd like to close with? So having already mentioned earlier how oppressive social media can be, if you choose to go ahead and check me out, look me up at Alex Marshall Brown, A-L-E-X-M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L. -L -L. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. My name is hyphenated between the Marshall and the Brown by virtue of my mother. So, you know, that complicates your search sometimes, but not with Instagram if you're looking for me there. I'm so complicated, you guys. <laughs> Are there any upcoming projects that people should look out for? Unfortunately, it's not anything that I am at liberty to mention just yet. I am currently working on a couple of video games, doing motion capture and performance capture for that. I just finished doing a play a week ago called The Tragedy of Comedy with Ammunition Theater Company, which was very well received. Hoping to get an ovation nomination. <laughs> I had an episode of New Girl come out recently, as well as an episode on Hulu where I got to star in Seven Moons as part of an anthology series called The House, a Halloween anthology. It's on Hulu. You can find it there. Upcoming things, though, Bright Sessions is a podcast that I record quite often as Director Wadsworth. We have episodes coming out on an ongoing basis. This season's crazy, you guys, so come check us out. It's therapy for the strange and unusual, so it's basically therapy for X-Men. It's worth it. I've worked a couple stunts lately, can't talk about it until they're out, but like I got a lot of things percolating. When, when they do come out, go find me on my website, alexmarshallbrown.com, you can go ahead and see all of it there. Fantastic. 
We hope to have you back. I could talk to you for hours. Thank you, Larry. I really appreciate it. This has been fun. <laughs> I'm glad you could entertain my crazy. I appreciate that. It's not crazy whatsoever. Yeah, you shouldn't call women crazy. You're absolutely right. Thank you. I, I don't think it's a sex issue. <laughs> you shouldn't call people crazy. That's just not kind. <laughs> We're all just people trying to We're do our best. Just, just trust. Squirrel trying to get a nut. <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed part two of my interview with Alex Marshall Brown. We barely managed to touch on her experiences and stunts. I'll take the blame for that one, will you off the hook. Hopefully we'll have her back soon and we can explore that area more. You know what that sound is? It's logical fallacy time. Today we're gonna cover dogmatism. Once again, I wanna thank Drake for such a wonderful resource. I don't know how you split your time with music and this, but I'm impressed. Dogmatism is the assumption that those who disagree with you are biased while you're objective. So I think this fallacy is relevant for pretty much every conversation dealing with any of these issues, whether they're related to gender, sexuality, or politics. Collectively, we seem to have immense trouble valuing and listening to others. We may pay them lip service, but most of us have already made up our minds and are entirely closed off. We might as well be following a religion. We create an irrational attachment to whatever side of the argument we're on, and that's it. I'm not saying you have to budge on your position or even that you're wrong. I just think it's important that you consider other alternatives, especially if they're being articulated in a patient and fair manner. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to my podcast. Are we friends yet? I think we are. I hope to see you all next week. But first, a word from our sponsor. Or in this case, just a word. I'd like to dedicate this episode to Tide Pods. I'm not sure why Procter & Gamble would make detergent that looks like candy, but I'm also not an evil corporation. Apparently, some of you are eating them. I've heard of cleansers, but this is ridiculous. Should you witness someone who eats one, make sure you tumble dry them low. They don't need much heat. Trust me, there are cheaper and easier ways to get high. Cheaper? I can't imagine these Tide Pods are very cheap. That's a Fortune 500 company we're talking about. Profits, profits, profits. Shareholders. Back in my day, we just licked a toad. Now that's a sustainable resource. <laughs>